Okay, so if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 20, um, last week we were talking about Jesus being our Sabbath rest, and uh, basically we were kind of looking at it from the negative standpoint, because it talks about in Hebrews 4 that, uh, that uh, talked about the people in the wilderness, is that some, some of them failed to enter into that rest, and, told, and the writer of Hebrews was saying to be diligent that we enter into that rest and stuff, and... Um, we talked about how like a lot of times when we we're going through trials or we're going through difficult circumstances we get in the flesh instead of entering into Jesus's rest right and you know the bible talks about you know the Jesus peace that surpasses understanding and, and things of that nature and stuff and I don't know about you guys but sometimes when when I'm in the mad, midst of a bad situation or you know you got coworkers angry at you or your boss is angry at you or your wife or your husband or your, you know, whatever, you're, you're fighting with your children or, or what have you and stuff, a lot of times in that place, it's hard to find that rest, you know. And I think that as believers, what God is calling us to is to not only find that rest, but to live in that place of rest, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that, like, there's there's believers that, that you can look at and draw from their example that, it just seems that they're always in that place, you know. I think about Corey Tinboom and stuff, and every time you ever see, saw anything with Corey Tinboom, she was always just filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and just, you know, God, you know, just filled with. You could tell just the peace and the joy that was on her and stuff, and. So I think that, that that's a part of us maturing as believers is learning how to enter that rest and how to stay in that rest. And so, um, you know, this whole discussion about the Sabbath and things, because, you know, in, in Christian circles, even right now, there's this whole thing about, you know, um, there, there are people that say, well, we're supposed to still be in the Sabbath and we're supposed to, we're still supposed to observe the Sabbath and things like that. And so I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that and what the Sabbath actually is. And in Exodus 20 is where the Sabbath was really instituted. And in verse 8, He says, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so... Um, even as I was studying this and things, you know, I, I was looking, you know, of course on the internet you come against, you come across all kinds of different things and, and, and stuff. And, and I, I was coming across all these different articles that were saying, well, you know, we're still to observe the Sabbath today, right? And so this is something that, you know, I feel that sometimes, you know, we, we learn because sometimes we're, we're studying the Word of God for things that might not be affecting us today, but that will affect us at some point. Right? That's why we study these things beforehand and not wait until it happens. So, um, Jesus observed the Sabbath, right? And, and this is one of the arguments that I kept seeing on the internet, is that Jesus and all the apostles observed the Sabbath, right? Even Paul, after, you know, after, after Saul got saved and he became Paul, and it talked about over and over about how he would go in the synagogues to preach on the Sabbath, right? And I think that what was happening there is that at first, Paul was preaching to Jews, right? And um, 
Turn to Acts chapter 13. And even, well, we'll just look at Acts chapter 13. Because Paul, when he first got saved, his mission and his desire was to reach his own people with the gospel. And so I think that that's the reason why he would go to the synagogue every, every Sabbath and try to, uh, try to minister to the Jews. And in uh, verse 44, it says, The next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Look at this in verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Talking about to the Jews, right? He says, um, Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. You see that? And so again, Paul, when he first became a Christian, his, his object was to witness to his own people, his brothers that he talks about in Romans, um, that it was his heart's desire to see them come to the Lord. But so I think that that's why he kept going uh, to the synagogues on the Sabbath is to try to reach the Jews. But there came a point to where he stopped doing that. And then, um, let's see, um, Acts 20. Look at Acts chapter 20. Verse 7. It says, On the first day of the week, now the first day of the week was Sunday, right? It says, When we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, and, and this is Paul in Macedonia and in Greece. And so now Paul is going to Gentiles, right? And they're meeting on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. He says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep, and as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. That's a message in itself. It says, but Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up he, and broken bread, broken bread and eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. And so we know that the early church always met on the first day of the week, right? And stuff. And, and the thing about the whole Sabbath is that, is that in a lot of senses, we kind of Christianized it. Like, if you read a lot of books by um, Christian theologians in the 1700s and the 1800s, they always talk about going to church on Sunday, and they refer to it as the Sabbath, right? And even a lot of us today, we talk about Sunday as being the Lord's Day and stuff. And so we still kind of underlying have this kind of idea that there's a certain day that we set aside for the Lord, right? It's like when we go to church and we call the church building the Lord's house, that building is not the Lord's house, right? It's the people that's in that building that's at the Lord's house, right? And so, I, again, I think that a lot of times what's happening is that these things that in the Old Testament were meant for spiritual examples and had spiritual realities in us today, we're still making them physical. And that's not the way that the Lord planned for them to be. He meant for them to be spiritual things, right? Um, turn to uh, Exodus chapter 31. But you know, there's something that is important. So Paul prayed a heart for young men 
mm-hmm. and uh, signed someone this follow because because they saying they picked them up dead, so obviously he came alive. Right. Yeah, and, and though, but know, the whole thing about them meeting on on the first day of the week is that. Again, there are people that say, well, we are to meet on the Sabbath, right? It's the, and the Sabbath is a Saturday, right? And there's this, on Saturdays we are to come together and we're to worship the Lord. And if you're doing it any other way, then you're doing it wrong. Even the denomination, the Seventh-day Adventists, they meet on Saturdays, right? And so there is still, even in Christian circles, and it's growing more and more, this idea about worshiping on the Sabbath. And in Exodus 31, verse 13 This is uh, an example in the wilderness of something that happened in the Sabbath. It says, uh, verse 13, But as for you, God speaking to Moses, he he says, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, You shall surely observe by Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it will surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person will be cut off from his people. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day will surely be put to death. Okay? So now, and that's the thing, is believers, um, we we have to study these things, and say, well, is this true? Is this something that we should be practicing? It's like, uh, you know, uh, there are some churches that believe that women should have their heads covered when they're in church, right? And again, that we as believers, we need to study the Bible. We need to be like Bereans and study the Bible to see whether these things are true, right? If they are true, then we should do it, right? If it's true that God has instituted the Sabbath and it's something that we should be observing today, then we need to do that, right? We talked about last week how there, there are like Jewish people have like two, two different ovens, two, two different refrigerators and things like that because they don't want to defile anything on the Sabbath day, right? Um, there, are some, there are some Jews that won't even turn on a light switch on, on Saturday because, you know, they don't, wanna, they don't want to defile themselves. And so um, this is a, look in Exodus chapter 4. So the Jews considered Saturday a Sabbath? Yes. Question mark? Mm-hmm. Right. You know what a lot of Jews, uh, females do? They shave their hair off and they put away. I worked in New York. Oh, I heard that I also. Huh? I heard that also. Yeah. You know, re- you know the reason yeah. why? They shave all their hair why? off and then they put this ugly wig on Why did like they do that? Not fashionable at all. So that, uh, why did they do it? For they do reasons? it because... Um, I asked that question too long ago. I said, why did you do it? She said, because they want to take, because their beauty belongs to the husband. And, and apparently they want to make themselves like not look attractive so mm-hmm. another man will not look at them. Right. So they walk around with this Because it's like the glory of God on them. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so the thing is about the Sabbath is, is in a lot of ways, it's like circumcision, okay? Because God also in the Old Testament told them to be circumcised. And he told them it's a sign between me and you that you are the chosen people of God, right? And then um, 
we're just gonna we're just looking at some different things we're trying to get ourselves to think about why is it right why did god have them do the sabbath in the old testament why did he have them do circumcision and things of this nature but now we're not allowed or now we're not required to keep those things right and in exodus 4 verse um let's see verse 21, God is speaking to Moses. He said, The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go that he may serve me, but you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So in Exodus 4, this is when God is commissioning Moses, right? This is when God is sending Moses to the promised land. God has called Moses, who has been in the wilderness for 40 years, watching sheep. And God says, now I'm going to make you my instrument. I'm going to use you. I've got a commission for you. I've got something that I need for you to do, right? So God is calling Moses. But look what happens in verse 24. It says, now it came about on the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. It says, Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You are now a bridegroom of blood to me. You see that? So even though God had called Moses, had chosen him, it said that because Moses had not circumcised his son, that God was going to put him to death, right? Now, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Mm -hmm. And so the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. Right. So we're, we need to figure out, we need to study the scriptures and see what has changed. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So turn to Galatians 5. Well, can I ask a question? Uh-huh. Well, you just finished reading. He said, but I'm going to hard the uh, Pharaoh's heart. And he's saying, I'm going to let other people go. That's another Bible study. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole other <laughs> subject. It's a good Bible study, but it's a, it's a big subject. Yeah. Yeah, I, would, I mean, that would we need to go take a while. <laughs> yeah. But in Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul is speaking to the Galatians, and we know all about the Galatians, how they were giving in the bondage and stuff. He says in verse 1, it says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, now this, this is concerning circumcision, but it's concerning all the ritualistic things of the Old Testament, right? Okay? And, and the thing is, is again, because some of the stuff that I, I was reading where these people were quoting Jesus where he says, I... I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? And so their argument is, well, that if Jesus came to fulfill the law, that means he came to fulfill the, all the law, which means that we as believers, we as Christians, should be keeping the law as well as the, the New Testament things. Does that make sense? So he says, um, Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Again, I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You, are seeking, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, walk, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Do you see that? And so here, God was going to put Abraham to death. 
because he did not circumcise his son. You mean Moses? Or Moses, right. Moses. And so, and, and the thing is, is again, are these things that we as believers are supposed to keep now? Or are these things, because the thing is, is, is the simple, the quick answer to that is, yes, we are, right? But in the New Testament, the Bible says over and over that we are circumcised in our hearts, right? It, where is it? It's in Romans. Um, is it in Romans 2? Let's take a quick look. But yeah, well, we don't have to turn there. But over and over in Ro the book of Romans, it talks about, yes, we are to be circumcised. But the thing is, is everything that they did, they did in the flesh, right? We as believers in the New Testament, the things that we do, we do by the Spirit, Right? And so they were circumcised in their flesh, but that never changed their hearts. And the thing is, is God was never concerned about their, their flesh being cut. He was concerned about their hearts being cut. And so all the things that happened to them in the Old Testament, through the desert and through the wanderings and things like that, were to be, spirit, were to be pictures for them in their minds to understand, right, the way that we're supposed to be. And the problem with the Pharisees is they kept all the outward stuff. They did all the outward stuff, but their hearts weren't changed. And so that's the thing that Jesus kept getting on to the Pharisees about. It's like you're cleaning the outside of the cup because that was part of the, te the Old Testament law too, right? Cleansing everything, washing everything, purifying everything, making sure everything was clean, making sure everything was spotless, that you couldn't touch anything and stuff. But Jesus said, you're doing all these outward things, but you're missing the point. And the point was never the outward thing. It's just like sacrifices. God Demanded sacrifices, right? But remember when David sinned with Bathsheba? He says, sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. What you have desired is a pure heart, the sacrifice of a pure heart. So God gave all these object lessons to them to teach them and to show them how he was, but without the Holy Spirit, they didn't understand that, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I like where you read in Galatians 5, 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. So he's talking about a new way of life, and it's in Christ. Right. That's why it says that Christ has fulfilled the law, because it's all wrapped up in Jesus. Yeah. Um, turn to Romans 14. This is the one we were actually talking about. In Romans 14, verse 1. So again, what, what the deal is between the whole transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament is, is that when the New Testament came and the Holy Spirit was birthed in our hearts, um, we understood what it was all meant to be, right? And that's what the new writers of the New Testament were explaining. And that's why Paul understood so much because... The Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament, right? It is the foundation of what we believe, but it's how is it to be translated, right? And in Romans 14, verse 1, it says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his, to his own master he stands or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. 
Look at this. One person regards one day above another. Another, another regards every day alike. In other words, one person thinks this day is a good day to worship God. Another person thinks Saturday. You know what I'm saying? And so it doesn't matter. He's saying it doesn't matter which day the person chooses, right? And so, and the point being is that we'll get into it more, but... Keep reading, Verse 6. Mm -hmm. He says, For he observes the day, observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who, he who does not eat, for the Lord he does not eat, and he also gives thanks for God. In verse 7 it says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. So again, even in the early church, they were getting caught up in this, well, which day do we worship on, Right? And they were, and some of them, again, the Judaizers, Judaizers were following them and saying, you guys have to worship on the Sabbath. So this thing is not something new. This is something that's been following the church for 2,000 years. Um, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Just kind of recapping what we talked about yesterday, last time. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Take care, brethren, that there... And again, think about the Hebrew church. The Hebrew church was undergoing severe persecution for their faith. And a lot of them were thinking about turning back, right? They were thinking about renouncing their faith and just turning back and going back to Judaism. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it's said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And remember last time we talked about, it was never God's intention for them to fall in the wilderness. We read that scripture that said that God brought them out so that he could bring them in. That was his purpose. That's what he desired to do. It says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For look at this in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. You see that? And so he says, Just as he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Um, verse 6, he says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, saying, Today... Um, through David, after so long a time, just as it had been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Um, verse 11, or verse 10, For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from, it, from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And so we talked about that there's a place of rest and a place of trust in Jesus. 
And the problem with the people in the wilderness is every time they came to a trial, every time they came to something difficult, they grumbled and they complained. And, and God wants to bring us to a place of maturity where we can trust him. The whole thing about the wilderness was to build trust in them. And again, a lot of the things that happen in our lives, a lot of the trials that we go through, a lot of the difficult circumstances are to bring us to a place where we trust God, where we trust Jesus, no matter what situation I'm in, he is going to bring me through this, right? Um, and... That is, that's the purpose that God, God is working in our hearts. That is where he wants us to bring. And this is the rest. Turn to John 17, verse 3. We're just going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures. I think it's interesting how it talks about it as being disobedience. Yeah. Like to not enter into that rest and, and into that sense of rest of Jesus. Right. And he said, let us fear that we do not enter into that place. And it says, uh, it, it basically, Jesus is our rest, right? And so the thing about the New Testament Christian is that, you know, our rest is not a one-day-a-week thing. Our rest is all the time because Jesus is our rest, right? Anytime we're going through something difficult, anytime we're going into something that's really hard, that, that we're like, God, I can't do this on my own strength and my own power. This is the time where we can enter into that rest, Right? Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, anyone who abides in me, right? And so there's this place of abiding in Jesus that a lot of us as believers, I know me a lot of times when I'm going through some stressful situations, uh, a lot of times I fall back to the flesh instead of seeking for that place of rest. And there's times, there have been, there are times at work when like I am having just the worst day and I've stopped and prayed. I'm like, Lord, I need you right now. Because if if you don't come through right now, I'm gonna I'm just I'm gonna blow up, right? And stuff. And then immediately it comes and stuff. And and it's like all all of a sudden for some reason while ago you weren't able to handle the stress, you weren't able to handle the pressure, and now for some reason you're able to, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. And that's the place of maturity that Jesus wants to bring us to. And that's the place of relationship that he wants us to, to bring us to, right? Because the thing is, is uh, you know, a lot of times, again, even as believers, we still think that, you know, by my own strength, by my own power, you know, I'm able to, you know, pull up my bootstraps and, and face this situation, face these trials and things, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what we did before we were Christians mm -hmm. and stuff. Well, and, and you think about the the idea of a Sabbath rest. They were trusting that they were that they that you know laboring on whatever six days would be enough to survive, right? That right. God was going to provide them enough food he, to survive. And he did, yeah. actually. And and like you know, and, and the manna, like it wouldn't last, like you know, yeah. You would they would only gather enough for on one day, Saturday, and only extra for one extra day, right? And then I mean on Friday, I'm sorry, uh, and then and then. No, there wasn't more, or it would rot. You only yeah. gather what you... And, and that's the thing. I mean, in the natural, that's an impossible situation. I mean, like, think of it even in a situation like... We, we're spoiled, right? We got grocery stores on every corner. We got, a, yeah. we got Walmarts. We got, you know, we got 7-Elevens. Anytime we need something, we just go to the store and get it. In their economy, everything that they needed, they didn't have supermarkets, 
right? And I'm not even talking about the wilderness. I'm just talking about ancient people. If they needed food for that day, they had to grow it. They had to, they had to kill it. They had to hunt it. You know what I'm saying? They couldn't just, they couldn't just go to their local Walmart and get food. And so they lived in an economy and, and like water every day, they would have to go to the well to get the water that they needed. And in some ways that was good, right? Because in some ways, that made them reliant. They had to be reliant on God. Especially, I mean, Israel's pretty arid. It's a pretty dry place, right? And stuff. And so it's a difficult place to live. And especially in the wilderness, in the desert. It's like, for millions of people, if God did not come through for them, they were going to die. And the thing is, is every single time they had issues, God came through for them. He, he brought water out of a rock, right? He, he sent manna from heaven. He did all these things for them, and yet still, every time they got into a bind, they would grumble and complain. And I think, and again, I think that that's the way we as believers do a lot of times, right? And God is trying to bring us to the maturing, maturing process to where we can just rejoice no matter what. And, and no matter what kind of situation, just like Paul and Silas we talked about were in the dungeon, and yet they were singing at midnight, and they were just worshiping God. Now, they never thought, look, hey, Silas, you know what? If we start worshiping the Lord, our chains are going to fall off. They didn't think that. They had no idea. So it wasn't some contrived thing. It wasn't like, let's just worship the Lord and see what he does. They just were worshiping God in a place of hardship, in a place of trial, and God came through for them. And you see it over and over. The Bible is a book of God coming through over and over and over for his people. And that doesn't mean that life isn't going to be difficult for us because life is going to be difficult for us. Jesus told us you will go through trials. You will go through tribulations and stuff. And so life is difficult, especially for the believer, because we as believers make choices that the world doesn't have to make. Right? I choose not to lie to my boss. I choose not to, to cheat on my taxes. I choose not to do all these things that would make life easier for me. Right? And so we, be by its very nature, being a Christian is a difficult walk and stuff. And so, but the thing about it is, is in our wilderness, in our trials, we, we, we have to come to the place where we know that God is here. And God is with us. And it doesn't matter. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And so many times, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm in the situation, I'm walking by sight. I'm like, I don't see a way out of this. I don't see any solution. And it's like, grumble, grumble, grumble. Right? Instead of realizing, right, that, you know what? I've been to this rock before. I have been to this place and God delivered me from it. And if God delivered me for before, he will deliver me again. He's not going to leave us as orphans, right? He is there for us. i got to share this. I hope I'm not stealing your message. <laughs> but um, it's really cool because, you know, in the New Testament, the Bible talks about Jesus being the bread that came out of heaven, right? But it talks about in Exodus, it says, um, it says and Moses... Uh, was talking about gathering, right? He's telling them to gather. And it says, And Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it till morning, the manna. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. Um, and then you go down, it says, Now it comes to the Sabbath. Now it came about on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, 
When all the leaders of the con congregation come and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord means. Tomorrow is the Sabbath of observance, a holy Sabbath. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor were there any worms in it. And Moses says, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six, six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none to gather. And it came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Um, so it's just interesting because when God wanted it done his way, first of all, and he basically allowed it to rot if they held on to it. But then when it came to observing the Sabbath, he wanted them to be able to trust him that he's their provider. And if he tells them that you're going to gather twice as much the day before and you need to keep it and I'm not going to allow any worm to eat it and I'm not going to allow it to go bad, that they had to learn to trust him to do yeah. that. You know, and it's like, it's like so easy for me, for example, to get caught up in... Uh, my career to where I start thinking it, I'm the provider, you know, but it's God who is blessing the harvest, you know, yeah. it's not me. And, and so there is a, there is those times where I have to just rest in Christ and I have to stop working and I have to spend time with the Lord and I have to say, you know what, I'm, I may be giving up some time right now, but I have to trust God that he will supply my needs. So I think it's also a picture of physical needs that he'll take care of us when we rest in him and spend time with him, but then it's also that spiritual lesson that Christ is the fulfillment and he is, he's not going to rot. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful picture of just resting in Christ too, you know, yeah. that, I don't know, I love it. Sorry. And, and that's the thing, you know, it, it was such an obvious picture that he's saying, trust me. Right? And the thing is, is we always talk about how we're believers in Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus and stuff like that. But a lot of times, do we really believe? Right? So believing in Jesus is not just believing in this, you know, like I said, the sinner's prayer. Believing in Jesus means I'm believing him right now for whatever situation that I'm in. And a lot of times we fail that test. We, yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm a believer. But sometimes we're unbelieving believers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And stuff, and it's this whole thing that God is doing within us that He's trying to deal with that unbelief. He's trying to deal with that thing and trying to show us, look, I'm the rest. I'm the rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And stuff. And He's trying to bring us that into that place. And look in uh, what did we say? Uh, John 17, verse 3. He says. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know that they may know you. Now, again, we think of eternal life as heaven. We think of eternal life as all these things. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see that? Jesus Christ is eternal life. We always think of eternal life as, as this, this thing, heaven, and the sweet by and by and stuff. Jesus Christ is eternal life. And turn to Ephesians chapter not 1. Not that you're not, saying it's not heaven as well. No, it is heaven. Heaven is the, the full completion of it. But, but right now we're entering into Jesus, right? And turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Because, and, and that's true because that, 
heaven is the obvious, the fulfillment, right? That's where we're trying to get to. That's the place where we're, we're wanting to go. Because, and the thing is, is we, we are so worldly-minded, right? We, we are so attached to this world, to this life, to things of this life and stuff. And, and um, we don't realize that heaven, the presence of Jesus, the fulfillment of it all, like all we're doing right now, we see in part, right? We know in part. This is all just nothing right and we're so afraid to cross over we're so afraid to to make that step and and a lot of us we come to that place where where we're crossing that river and it's like man it's deep and it's dark and it's cold without realizing that on the other side are is there's no more tears right on the other side is is the presence of Jesus. Um, we were talking about earlier and stuff, you know, and like we can all imagine times when we have been in the presence of the Lord, right? Through a worship time or through prayer or just even through fellowship sometimes and stuff like that and how sweet and how awesome that time was and stuff. Imagine heaven is going to be that multiplied by millions, right? And stuff, and, and we're multiplied, but made eternal. Yeah. So imagine if you can stay in that moment. Everybody, just think of a moment where you were really close to the Lord, and you really sensed His presence. And like, I even like Frank, even the time when you were just fasting and you had that incredible experience with God, like, or you know, just these times where you just like, I think Christy, when the time in the shower where you just like knew God's presence was with you, and these moments where we feel Him so powerfully. And it sometimes only lasts like five minutes or 15 minutes, but it's the most incredible thing we've ever experienced. So heaven is that for all eternity. Yeah. It's that moment, every single minute of every single day. And just magnified, magnified too. Magnified, too. That's kind of like, you know, I mean, we meet so many people that are supposedly Christians and things, and, and they have no desire for worship. They have no desire for, for studying God's Word. They have no desire for anything spiritual. Right, but they call themselves Christians. They don't even go to church. They don't, you know. They they do nothing, and, and they have no interest whatsoever in God or the things of God. And they think that they're going to be happy in heaven. Heaven is all about Jesus, right? You look in the book of uh, Ezekiel. You look in, in Isaiah chapter six and Revelations, where people are in the throne room of God. Everything is centered around the throne. Everything. And all the 24 elders and everybody's bowing down before the throne and the one that's on the throne and they're worshiping him and they're casting their crowns down before his feet. That's what heaven is. Heaven is going to be just an awesome worship service, right? And it's going to go on for century or forever and stuff. And, and it's like, that's, that's why it's ludicrous to think that people that have no desire for God or, or anything to do with God is going to be in heaven because... Their heaven is right now, right? Their heaven is the things that they are pursuing, the things that they, the things of this life that they want more than they want God. And and sometimes we, you know, sometimes I find myself falling into that trap where you know, you know, I'd rather do something else today. You know what I'm saying? And you get in that place where you know I don't really feel like reading the Word today, or I don't really feel like worshiping and stuff like that. And it's like God brings you back to that place. Where, where it's like, man, I want that back again, right? I miss that. I miss that communion. I miss that fellowship with him and things. And he brings us back to that place because that's what it's all about. 
And it does start here in, in Ephesians 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. You know, how, how often do we think of, that, of God in those terms when we're, when we're suffering or when we're having hard times or, you know, we're, we're going through trials and stuff? We're thinking, you know, God, where are you? You know, we're, it's like, why is it so difficult? Instead of thinking about... He's, he has surpassing power. Anything that we are undergoing, he has. And, and the thing is, is God's not always going to deliver us from the situation, but he will give us that peace in the storm. And that's the main thing, right? If we come to him to, to be in his presence, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how bad it is, he is there with us. That's why people can go through persecution. That's why people can watch members of their families being persecuted and they still worship God. Or people themselves being persecuted or put to death or tortured and they're still worshiping God because He is in there and His presence is with them when they go through those trials. Can I read? Yeah. <clears throat> this is so good. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7. In oh, Him wow. we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mysteries of his will, according to his kind intentions which he purposed in him, with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ Jesus, things in heaven and things upon the earth, in him. We also, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, which is, by the way, means down payment, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. He goes on to say in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly father. Sorry, that's just so good, y'all. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So in, it says in verse 21, it says, He put him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
Verse 22, he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills it all, all in all. So that's awesome, right? Yes. This is where Jesus is. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He lives to make intercession for us. Everything is under his feet. He has power over everything. And in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And look at this, verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see that? So heaven starts now. And we can enter into that heavenly place. We can enter into the throne room of Jesus, right? That's why it says in, in uh, what is it, Hebrews 4, that it says we, by grace, we can come boldly, or we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. So we can find grace to help in time of need. And again, so many times as we get caught up in unbelief, or we get caught up in grumbling, or we get caught up in complaining, rather than coming to the throne of grace, knowing that there's sufficient grace for whatever we are going through, yeah. right? And this is the rest, and this is the place where... Or man, I, I want to learn how to dwell in that place, right? And the thing is, is the world, the world wants to bring us down. It's like we talked about uh, crab traps have these big holes in them, right? And the crabs go in them because that's where the food is. And, you know, the story that I heard is that the crabs, they don't have to close the hole because it says, someone said that when the crabs try to get out, the other crabs will bring them back down, right? And that's the way it is with the world, you know? It's like... Um, you're, you're having, say like you're, you're having, you're having squabbles with people that you work with. Right. And, and your desire is to obey or, you know, is to forgive them and enter into a place of forgiveness and, and rest and things like that. And what are your workmates doing? You need to lash back. Right. He said something back about, he said something bad about you. You need to say something back to them. Right. And so that's the world. The world tries to bring us down and to pull us back down. We are designed to be in the heavenly places of Christ. We are designed to be above this world and the things of this world. But sometimes we get so caught up in the ways of this world and in the things of this world that we come down too, right? And God wants us to learn to live in those heavenly places above all the noise, above all the junk, above all the garbage that goes on in our lives. And we will deal with those things, but it's how we deal with them, right? We can walk with, we can try to walk through those situations on our own, or we can walk with the Lord. And we can walk in that peace with God and, and his favor and just knowing that he's there with us. Amen? Um. Let's see. And in Paul, you know, the thing is, is in, in Philippians 1, Paul said, for me to die is gain. And, and again, we, we, we are so attached to this world. And, and you know, even believers, us as believers, and, and I'm not saying that we have this kind of fatalistic thing or even that we're, you know, we want to die or whatever. And, and it's not like Paul was self-destructive or, or suicidal or anything like that. 
But the thing is, is that he had such a vision of Jesus that this life didn't have the hold on him, right? And that's the thing, is that this life is fading away. And, and we are, you know, th there are so many riches before us. Turn to uh, Revelation chapter 21. Revelations 21, verse 8, or verse 7. Oh, wait. Oh, verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. This is what happens when we're in the presence of God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, the first things have passed away. And Again, we live in a world that's full of heartache and full of pain, but there's going to come a time when we stand before the Lord and He wipes away every tear, right? And this is the thing that we're living for. We're not living for this world. We're not living... I mean, okay, sure, we have to have houses. We have to have cars and stuff like that. And, and the things that God gives us, obviously we rejoice in those things and those are good things, right? But that's not what we're living for. We're not living for the here and now. We're not living just to get by. We're living for someday when we stand before him, it's going to all be worth it, right? And the Bible says, I, I don't know where it is in the New Testament, but it says comfort one another with these things. And the problem is that sometimes the fact that we live in America in the 21st century, uh, I think it makes it difficult for us, right? I mean, we, we look at people that are per being persecuted and things, and we, and we think it's so hard for them, and it is. I'm not trying to minimize that, but a lot of those people look at us in America and they, and they pray for us because we have it so easy. We have it so good and it's so easy to forget the things that are important. It is so easy to get caught up in this life and the things of this life and to think that these things are so important when they're not. The things that are important are the things that, that we're doing for the Lord. And, and when, we, when we minister to people that are broken or when we, you know what I'm saying? All the things that we do for the Lord, those are the things that are important and stuff. And, and we're just, the, the whole thing that we're living for is for we can, when we stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? And so that's the ultimate rest. And one of these days, we are all going to step from this existence to you know the throne room of God and every tear is going to be gone and everything and, and 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 that's why it's worth it it is so worth it every price that we pay for the Lord sometimes the things that I believe me there have been many times as a believer when when I've just been close to saying man I don't want to be a Christian anymore it's too difficult it's too hard and and you know I mean Christians fighting against Christians and you know, and just the things that, you know, the, the things that the world talks about the church, they're true, right? We are not living up to the things that God has called us to do. And sometimes we, we, 
you know, we abuse each other. Sometimes we don't treat each other the way we ought to. And a lot of pain that is called that Christians receive is a lot of times caused by other believers and stuff. And so there's times when this walk is a walk of daily picking up your cross. And the cross is heavy. And, and it costs something. It's going to cost everything. But it's all going to be worth it in the end. And, and the thing is, is the Bible says Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross mm-hmm. and stuff. And when we can remind ourselves of the things that God, the rewards, right? And there's nothing wrong with doing that. God will reward us. God sees the things that we do for him, and he remembers those things. And when we get to heaven, Paul said, there's a crown laid up for me. And not only for me, but for everyone who believes and stuff. And so there are crowns that, that the Lord, that there are things, there are rewards that God is going to give to the people who lay down their lives for him. And one day when we step before him and he receives us, at that point, it's all going to be worth it. And everything that, that was so big, everything that looked like these major obstacles, they're going to be nothing, right? And they're going to be worth it and stuff and so that's the thing as believers is that we major on there's going to be a time when I fully enter into that rest Mm -hmm. and I come into the joy of the Lord and it's there forever Mm -hmm. I was going to since he said that I was just going to read Hebrews 11 6 and without faith it is impossible to please him Mm -hmm. for he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him so it's impossible to please him without faith. And then it's listing your belief. What are you believing in when you have faith? One of the things is that he's a rewarder mm-hmm. of those who seek him. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that you're supposed to be believing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. That's good. And, and Paul, we have to remember that it's not necessarily in this life. I think sometimes we expect that reward in this right. life. Sometimes we get it in this life. Sometimes we don't. Many times we don't. And so... We can't get discouraged when we don't see blessing in our life and think, well, I guess God's not rewarding me or I guess he doesn't see my sacrifice or whatever. Yeah, yeah he does see it. Um, and just like that scripture in Revelation that says he's storing up our tears. Like he sees the tears, he sees the sacrifice, he sees the pain. And, and in due time, even if that time is in heaven, he will reward us for that. Yeah, and that's why Paul said to run the race with endurance, right? Because sometimes it takes some endurance and stuff. But, you know, and that's the thing is that we're just setting before us the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Being in the presence of the Lord and being in that place where where perfect love exists. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing we have never experienced on this earth is perfect love, right? Mm-hmm. When we stand in the presence of God, it, it's going to be, I mean, and that's the thing. People talk about heaven, so all these things and, you know, glorified bodies and stuff like that. I, I, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, whether it's going to be streets of gold or whatever. But the focal point is going to be God, right? And the love that he has for me, right? And, and that's what it's going to be, you know, it's going to be personal, right? God, God's going to love everyone, but, but I think that in heaven, it's a place where each one of us individually will know that perfect love that we've never experienced. And that's what the world is seeking for, right? Now, I mean, most people are looking for love in the wrong places and things, but we're looking for that love. We're looking for that perfect love. People call it unconditional love and, and things like that. Um, but we're looking for that place 
where, you know, most of us have been broken, we've been scarred, we've been betrayed, we've been, you know, all this stuff. Even people that love each other, right? Because you can't be in fellowship with someone. You can't love somebody without, you know, every once in a while hurting their feelings or doing something. But when we're in the presence of God, that's never going to happen. And everything that, all the trials, all the suffering will be worth it. Amen? Amen. So, that's all. I just want to share uh, Ephesians 1, 13, kind of where you were at, just to reemphasize. It says um, that in Him, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. So pledge means, in the Greek, it means a down payment. Um, so again, if, you, if, you, if we have this, we've really got to grasp a hold of that this life is just a fraction of what heaven will be like. Like the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a down payment. And then you look at the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit brought healings and it brought, you know, prophetic words and it brought all these powerful things that were happening in the book of Acts and in Paul's day, all this powerful moves of the Holy Spirit. Yet Paul is saying that's just a down payment. Mm. So we have to realize that what we're experiencing in this life, even in the book of Acts life, you know, that we keep trying to achieve as Christians all over, all over America. We want Acts to be in our lives. Well, that's great. It's great to want that, and we can pursue that. We always have to remember it's just a down payment, praise the Lord. You know, like it's just a little tiny piece of the bigger picture. And so that's awesome. So we just have to remember there's so much more that we will never experience in this life but we will one day experience. Mm. So I just think that's incredible. It's so incredible. It's awesome.